Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. You see, Samson had had grace, right? And grace, and grace, and grace, and grace. He said, boy, it's just all grace. You can do anything and God will always forgive. There'll be no punishment. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. In other words, because judgment does not come quickly when you and I sin, we think, boy, they're just grace, grace, grace. There'll be no judgment. The truth is, no addiction is stronger than God's redemption. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today on The Winning Walk, Dr. Young begins his message, Redemption, about God's power to renew every life, and that means yours, too. So stay with us. The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young begins in just a moment. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Redemption. People ask, when did you start preaching without notes? Unless I read something on a card or something on one of the screens, I preach without notes. I associate how great thou art with that style in which I developed. I was in college preaching revival in Belzona, Mississippi, the heart of the Delta, youth revival. Sunday night, packed with kids, I had voluminous notes, young preacher, well prepared. But when the part about how great thou art said, when the thunders rolled, lightning hit the transformer that controlled all the power in that little city and knocked every light out. I would sit on the platform with all of my notes saying, Lord, what in the world am I to do? And he said, just tell them about Jesus. So in total darkness, I stood up and preached on Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So I associate how great thou art with that style in which I develop. People think I have teleprompters down here. And you get that on the screen, the same thing that I get. And so when you forget, you keep talking till you remember. It's not (laughs) very hard to understand. We are wrapped up with superheroes. When I was a boy, I went to the movie almost every Saturday. It cost a dime. Can you believe that? And I watched Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, and they had a cowboy there, most you never heard of, Whip LaRue. Anybody ever heard of Whip LaRue? I mean, this is a special group. Whip LaRue had that whip, and he was a cowboy, and he would, he would shoot them or whip the gun out of their hands, and so I made me a whip. I worked for weeks trying to be like Whip LaRue, some superhero. And Superman came out, and Captain Marvel came out, and Batman and Robin, and they keep coming out, coming out, coming out all these years. We like superheroes. 
And perhaps the one that stands out most in the secular world would be 007, James Bond, licensed to kill, Beretta, shaken and not stirred. Did you know he saved the world from disaster 23 different times? 20 different movies, all had the same plot. Basically, there was this brilliant villain who was destined to destroy all humanity. But then James Bond came with all of his gadgets and with fast cars and faster women. <laughs> and so we have seen whole generation of Ian Fleming's novels that came to life in living color. Superhero, James Bond. We have in our study today, sort of an ancient superhero by the name of Samson. Samson means sunshine. It means brightness. What a wonderful name. Have you ever known anybody named Samson? No, no, no. Why not? Because we know something about his life. We know that he was a judge. If you've been reading through the Bible, you read through the book of Judges. Have you ever read a clear account of the condition America's in today? What happened to the Israelites? They went to the promised land. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And all the Israelites said, yes. But then there's that tragic little verse. And there arose another generation that did not know the Lord of the things that God had done for his people. Joshua died, Caleb died, a whole generation died, and there came their sons and their daughters and their grandchildren, and they did not follow the Lord. Why? Their parents did not teach them. Their parents did not go with them to worship. Their parents did not build into their lives the basic fundamental principle of God that made the Israelites distinct from all the people on the earth. Another generation. And we see this now, the situation in Israel. We've looked at 12 judges, if you've read through this passage. And it seems like everyone gets a little worse than the one before. They were not judges in a courtroom. They were military leaders, men and women, moral leaders who tried to wake up God's people because what had happened? Remember God's instructions to Joshua? Wipe out all the ites. Don't let any of them survive. Drive them out of the land. And people say, oh my, God is such a, this can't be a true and living God to kill every one of them. Try to live with ISIS. Does anybody on the planet think that you and I or anybody else can live with ISIS people? Have you kept up? 
All these ites, they were just ISIS people, godless. The image of God had been burned out of them. Their souls were condemned. They had no hope and they would contaminate and destroy any other people who came in contact with them. This is who inhabited the promised land. This reason God said you have to eliminate all of them. And the people of Israel did not do that. And now they're paying the price. What happened? Well, they did business with one another. Moabites, Jebusites, Canaanites, now the Philistines. You know, you know they, they're pretty good business people. And then they begin to intermarry with one another. And finally, years go by. You couldn't tell the difference between someone who worshiped the God of Dagon or Jehovah. And they all sort of became one with syncretism. And they became one. And they said, you know, you have your God and I have my God. And, and they said, we'll just live together, except it was the Philistines who dominated God's people with their godlessness. Introduce Samson. Well, is Samson such an important guy? Ladies and gentlemen, when four chapters and 96 verses are given over to the study of somebody, you can bet God's trying to get a message across to you and to me and to all who read his word. Four chapters, 96 verses. And let me start off and tell you without any doubt that Samson's number one problem he was addicted to sex. He was addicted to sex. Talk to any secular or Christian psychotherapist who deals in counseling, they will tell you that between 90 and 95% of all the men and women and teenagers who sit before them desperate all 90 to 95% their problem revolves one way or another around sex. Did you notice how quiet everybody gets? <laughs> you talk about death and you talk about sex from where I stand and everybody gets real quiet. Samson was addicted to sensuality. Someone gave me a book, lent me a book a couple of days ago. I have not read it. But I have looked at the chapter titles and they tell the whole story of Samson. The title of the book is The Samson Syndrome. And here are nine of the chapters of that book, which I have not read, but the chapters tell the story of Samson. Strong men tend to struggle with lust. Second chapter, strong men tend to break rules. Strong men tend to overestimate their cleverness. Strong men tend to repeat their mistakes. Strong men lend to have big egos. Strong men tend to have foolish risk. Strong men tend to struggle with intimacy. Strong men take too much for granted. Strong men lend to move away from God, tend to move away from God. This tells the story of Samson. 
As we study his life, we can look at his relationship with four females, with his mother, with his wife, with a harlot, and with Samson and, oh, Samson and, David and, oh, we've got it. Those four females will give us a good way to understand the life of Samson. First of all, Samson and his mother. Can anybody tell me his mother's name? Hmm. Interesting, we don't know her name. <laughs> Everybody gets an A plus. <laughs> but 13 times she's referred to in chapter 13 and a couple of verses in chapter 14 as Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, or the woman. 13 different times that we don't know her name. How like a godly mother. Doing so much behind the scenes, loving, coercing, helping, encouraging, Discipline, all the wonderful things that a godly mother, and they're not remembered because their personality is hidden, trying to build the stuff in the sons and daughters that God has given her. So we don't know her name except Manoah's wife. But look at the story here. Chapter 13. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Have we seen this picture before? <laughs> And the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We've heard that over and over again. Verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah and the family of the Danites. His name was Manoah. Look at verse 3. Then the angel Lord appeared to the woman, Samson's mother, and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to de deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Let me tell you something. That is, that is unbelievable verses there. An angel said, you're going to have a boy. A promise. Then the angel gives instructions as to how that mother is to live as she carries the boy. Did you get that? You go to a gynecologist today and you're pregnant, the gynecologist would tell the woman exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing we read here thousands of years ago in the Bible. Don't drink any strong drink. Be careful what you eat. Gives instructions right here as to what she is to do. And more than that, this angel, who we discovered to be divine, in all probability a theophany, Jesus, and says simply, look, this boy is to be a Nazarite. What was a Nazarite? Deuteronomy chapter number six. Don't get a haircut. Don't touch dead bodies. Don't drink alcoholic beverages. In other words, your boy is to be a special property of God. You are to give him to God from his birth and this is the kind of character and moral life he is called to live. Boy, right up front. And then on top of that, God tells this mother and her dad and his dad, Menorah, let me tell you something. He is to deliver Israel. He is to be the moral, spiritual, political leader of Israel. Tells them the purpose of his life right up front. 
Some of us wonder, he's trying to figure out how our children are bent. And this is instruction. Look at verse 8. Then Manorah, Samson's dad, entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. And then later on, he prays again in verse 12. Manorah said, now when your words come to pass, believe the promise. What shall be the boy's mode of life and vocation? What's he doing? Here is a father praying for a boy that had not yet been conceived, saying, God, tell me how he is bent, what his inclination will be. Tell me how to bring him up. Tell me how to love him. Tell me how to counsel him. Tell me how to mentor him. Right here in the Old Testament, we have principles we think, well, we figured out family life right here. No, 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 no. Here it is right in the early stages of God's truth. How to be a dad, how to be a mother. And then they worship, they sacrifice right up front. Could you think of a, anybody having a better beginning than Samson? Remember his name means sunshine. Boy, what a great name. Boy, have godly mother, godly father, already praying, already asking, already committing that son to the living Lord. What a great beginning he had. So we see his relationship with mom was terrific. It was right on target. Then we see the relationship to his wife. Things begin to go downhill. Look at chapter 14. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Letter part of, of verse three, get her for me for she's good looking. She's sexually appealing. Get her for me. Then, then again, move down. It says, uh, verse 7, and he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. Samson saw this Philistine gal and said, man, she's a knockout. I've never seen anybody like that. That's who I want for my wife. Let me tell you something. You marry on the basis of just external appearance, and look out. Look out. Menorah, Samson's dad, said, is not there's an Israeli girl who could attract you? Is not there one of the Jewish girls? He was saying, you're marrying somebody who's going in a different direction, has a different world groove, makes a decision about what's right and wrong in a totally different venue of what you've been taught, and let me tell you, he was saying, your marriage in the beginning has great, great difficulty. Let me tell you something. That's true today. Now, unequally yoked, sometimes it works out, but I can tell you most of the time it does not because you've got two backgrounds, two cultures, two different gods entirely coming together and trying to be one, and that's one reason we have so many disasters, divorces, in which half of those here today married have been through a divorce. That's our culture because somehow, some way, we married people who were going in another direction from the direction that we were taught and to go. 
That is the basic bottom line truth. I've experienced it in my own family, immediate family. So here we go. And they go down, the wedding is arranged. That's what parents did. And, and we see what happens. Samson goes down to the wedding party. By the way, you see the, the phrase here, went down, went down, went down. And you see the phrase, not knowing, not knowing, not knowing. When you go back and study this passage, you see, went down, went down, not knowing, not knowing. And that is almost a, a, a symbol, a, a story of downhill. When we start down, we plead ignorance. We start down, we are ignorant. We start down, we always end up lower than we thought we were going to go. This is what happened to Samson. And on the way, he killed a lion. Interesting. Later on, the marriage is set, and it's a seven-day celebration. And they start having parties. And so his bride and her family, the Philistines, they invited uh, some young men to come, 30 young Philistine men to come and celebrate with them. And Samson always been alive for the party, always been on top of things. He said, let's have a little wager. And he said, I'll propose a riddle. If you get the riddle right, uh, I'll give each one of you a change of clothes. If you don't, each one of you give me a change of clothes. Pretty considerable bet. And he proposed a riddle that says, out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. What am I talking about? What he was talking about was simply a lion he had killed on the way there months before, and now bees had got in there and produced honey. He was saying he was talking about a lion's carcass where there was honey. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet, and they couldn't figure it out. They didn't know what he was talking about. They were going to lose, so they went to his Wife, as she's called, they're still in an engagement period, preparation for the wedding, seven days, and says, if you don't tell us this riddle, we're going to burn you up and burn your family up. You see, when you get in a new family relationship and a new culture, they think differently from what you might think. Ladies and gentlemen, when you marry, you marry the whole family. If you hadn't figured that out, you haven't been married very long. <laughs> well, I don't know about your brother. You're marrying her brother too. Make no mistake <laughs> about it. So, so Samson here, he is caught up in this deal. And finally, the wife cries it's for seven days. The marriage was to be consummated. And she cries every day for seven days. How do you like that in your wedding party? First day, she cries, oh, if you don't tell me, you don't love me. And the answer that riddle, no, these guys, they, won't, they don't want to give their... And she cries for seven straight days, folks. Listen, women, tears are deadly. <laughs> had an argument with your husband, and when you shed a tear, man, it's all over. You just won. But you may have lost by wasting your tears. But she cried every day until finally Samson says, Okay, I got it. Here's the secret, he told her. And she went and told these 30 men, and they won the bet. And Samson said immediately, I, I don't know exactly what this verse means, but he said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would never have guessed. <laughs> and that could have a lot of interpretation, but it means that my wife-to-be sold out to you. And then he goes and he gets violently angry. 
And he does an amazing thing. He goes and catches 300 foxes, 300 foxes. And this is harvest time in the Philistine world. They got all their crops out there, all the wheat. And he ties their tails together and he puts a torch between the fox's tail and releases 300 fox with torches on their tail all the way through the harvest of the Philistines. It destroys the wheat, the vegetables, everything they had. By the way, that's the first illustration of taillights in all of history. But <laughs> this obliterated the Philistine harvest. And they said, who in the world has done this? And they said, look, it's been Samson because of what happened there in the deal. And, and Samson, in the meantime, before this had gone back, after he got over his anger, he didn't consummate his marriage. He went back and tried to get back with his wife. And her daddy said, you know, I thought you were through with her and the marriage wasn't consummated. She now is married to the best man. And this is what led Samson to this deed. But when Samson went back later to try to get in relation with his wife, he took with him a young goat to give to her. Now, guys, you're looking for creative gifts. <laughs> Here's a biblical, uh, I'm bringing you a goat, honey. In the Bible, it taught, you know. And so that didn't work. And he, he kills another handful of them. And they get angry. Finally, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey and slays a thousand of them. So that's what happened with his marriage. And then they ended up burning up his wife, never would consummate in all of her family because they got the Philistines in such a tough situation. What a story. Believe it or not, that a lot of people in contemporary marriages, I can tell stories almost as tragic and disastrous as that. The biggest decision you'll ever make outside of receiving Christ is when you say, I do. Here we see what happened to Samson. We see how this whole period of his life was governed by this. And now we see what else happened to Samson. But we do that. I want you to look at the 20th verse of chapter 15. It says, so he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, I hold on to that verse because the most amazing thing is that Samson is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 among the heroes of faith. In other words, here's a who's who of God's kingdom family on this earth, and Samson is on the list. How in the world did he get on God's list? Only answer I have is this 20th verse, when he, for 20 years he ruled, he helped his people, restored his people in Israel. That's the only merit I can see in this guy. But that's enough to guide him into the Lord's Hall of Fame. But then we see Samson in the relationship with his mom, in the relationship with his wife, and then we see his relationship with a harlot. 20 years had gone by, now Samson, chapter 16, went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And this is when it says, and when he was told to the Gazites saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. 
You see, the Philistines used Samson but he knew himself. He went back into sensuality. He was still addicted. He thought he'd won the battle 20 years. The Philistines knew their man. They knew their man. And then we know this the illustration when in order to get out of the city, they thought they had him. He went and tore down the gates and went to the top of the mountain and held the gates of the city above his head. You see, he was a supercharged man with great, great supernatural strength. And then after this, we see the fourth relationship he had, and it was with Delilah. Look at chapter 16, verse 4. After this, he came about, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of Philistines came to her and said to her, entice him. That word entice, boy, such, it's the second time we've seen it here. Uh, they told his wife to entice him, to get him to turn him in. We see Delilah to entice him. You say, what a dumb, stupid man he is. He gets conned by all these women time and time again. Hold on, guys. Hold on. Satan sees our weaknesses and plays to our weaknesses. And when it worked this time with his wife in that situation, it worked this time with a harlot, now we have somebody who is beautiful, magnificent, charming, alluring, charismatic, and she's an entrepreneur on the side. She cut a deal with the Philistines. I'll find out the source of this strength, but you got to pay me $5,000 a piece, every one of you, and the contract was made. So Delilah, with all of her charms, begins to entice him. You want to see a story of enticement? I want you to look, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 7. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, <laughs> passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness, you see that it's just dim light, then in the evening, then it gets dark, and then it's midnight. This is the way sin operates in the darkness, isn't it? And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the street. She's in the square. She lurks in every corner. She seizes him and kisses him with a brazen face. She said to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. He went to church. Oh, my goodness. Today I have paid my vow. She's a tither. Therefore, I have come out to meet you and to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you and I have spread my couch with coverings from linens of Egypt. You know, that's the guy, my pillow guy. He makes those linens now. <laughs> and I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. And come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves in caresses, for my husband is not at home. We see the enticement, the enticement that is here. This is what Delilah used. Go back and read that powerful story following her enticement. 
Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to affliction. In other words, where's the source of your strength? And so Samson says, well, it's, it's new cords and Philistines upon you, Samson, he broke those cords. No, it's new rope. Philistines upon you, he broke those new ropes. And, and then he goes, he said, well, it's, it's you'll plait my hair a certain way and put a pin on it. And Philistines are coming and he took the pin out and he was handling them until finally Delilah said, you don't love me, you don't trust me. I wonder why. Uh, and so uh, you, you don't really care about me. And then he told her the secrets of his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, when you know God and know Christ, there's some secrets in your heart with God and with him that you don't share with anybody. When somebody shares with you the secrets of their life, that's holy ground. But there are secrets we have with God that's between you and God and between myself and God. You don't share with anybody. Samson just opened up all of it. And she knew. And he bore her heart and, and said the secret is in his hair. And so she put him to sleep in her lap, called a man in, and the man shaved his head while he was asleep. And that's the infamous haircut in the devil's barbershop. <laughs> then when he awakened, one of the saddest verses you can read in the Bible. The Philistines upon you, Samson, verse 20, chapter 16. And he awoke from sleep and said, I will go out at other times and will shake myself. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. If the Lord departed from you, would you know it? You see, Samson had had grace, right? And grace, and grace, and grace, and grace, he said, boy, it's just all grace. You can do anything and God will always forgive. There'll be no punishment. Look, if you would, at a verse in Ecclesiastes. It says in Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. In other words, because judgment does not come quickly when you and I sin, we think, boy, there's just grace, grace, grace. There'll be no judgment. But you read the Philistines took Samson. You know the first thing they did? They gouged his eyes out. They gouged his eyes out. Bound blind Samson. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, not for Samson. They gouged his eyes out. Now he's a grinder. He, he, he is pulling around, grinding the meal there. He is in prison. He is blind. And then we read a tremendous verse, a fabulous verse, one of the also great verses in the Bible. The other verse was tragic. He did not know the Lord had departed, but this is a powerful verse. It says, he's blind, he's in prison, but verse 22, chapter 16 says, the hair of his head began to grow again. The hair of his head began to grow. Now Samson had turned to God. Samson saw God 
I'm sure the trash in his life. Samson saw the poor choices he's made, but his hair begins to grow, the secret of his strength. You see, gradually he'd moved away from being a Nazarite. Dead bodies, strong drink, and now his hair, but now his hair begins to grow. He begins to get back in relationship with God, and you know the story. They took him there to the temple of Dagon, and they were worshiping, they said, Samson entertained us, and here's this blind brute there entertaining them, the one who had killed and impressed them for 20 years, and they're celebrating, and they're saying, the God of Dagon is so much better than the God of Israel. Listen, when a son or a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ falls, the secular world applauds and says, they're just like everybody else. Dagon had won a victory, but then Samson has a lad to lead him over to the pillars of that pagan place of worship. He says, let me feel them. And then he prayed to God. On the second time, Samson prayed in these four chapters. And he asked the Lord to remember him. His hair had grown back. His strength had come back. And he took and he crushed those pillows and the whole temple fell down. And he killed more Philistines, more ISIS-like people in his death than he had in his life. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Now, as you know, we've all had periods in life when we mess up and sometimes even stumbling beyond anything we'd ever imagined. Dr. Young, how can our listeners begin the painful process of getting honest with God and letting Him lead them back into His purpose for their lives? Thank goodness for forgiveness. Thank goodness that when we confess our sin, He is able and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That means He enables us to clean up our act. So many times when we feel guilty, we're guilty because we've been caught, we've been found out about, we've been discovered. And we say, oh, I'm sorry for that. That's not repentance. It's not being sorry of our sin. It's confessing sin, turning away from that sin, receiving his forgiveness. And here's the kicker. We have to go back when possible and make restitution. We have to go back and say those tough words where we did not express ourselves accurately and say, you know, I I messed up. I, I shouldn't have said that. We have to go back and try to restore uh, yesterday. I'll give you something personal. I was talking to a friend over the phone, and he reminded me that seven years ago, he said some things to me that he wished that he had not said. They were off the top of his head, a a moment of I don't know what, and I listened, and maybe I didn't respond too well, but he brought that back up, and there was healing. And I certainly forgave him, and whatever part I had, he has forgiven me, and I'll tell you, we begin a new relationship. Not that our friendship was totally severed, but now it's been healed because all that was said has been brought out into the light. And when it comes in the light of God, the light of Christ, He does a supernatural work in all those who are involved. So we mess up, and other people mess up, and we pay the price for it. But that all, I think, is a process of our growing up. Thanks, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. 
Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.